HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. On behalf of our family of hosts, staff, and the millions of listeners who have tuned in since 2009, we want to wish you happy holidays and ask for your support as we launch our daily in-house news coverage. Please consider making us a part of your end-of-year giving in 2013. Your membership donation is tax-deductible and the best way to show you believe in our work and the importance of a free, food-focused media resource. Consider donating today at heritageradionetwork.org by clicking the Donate button. Thanks for your support, and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and today we'll be talking about one of my favorite foods. Chances are your favorite, too. I mean, what do you do when you come home late, there's nothing in the house, or it's just that weekend and you feel kind of lazy? You order a pizza, right? Ah, pizza, so popular in this country that according to Carol Halstatsky in her book, Pizza, A Global History, she said that Americans eat 100 acres of pizza per day. That's 350 (laughs) slices per second. Or it doesn't sound so bad when you round it out to 46 slices a year for every man, woman, and child. That's all? Yeah. And that rounds out to about $33 billion annually. We're talking big business, folks. Pizza. How did it get so popular? Where did it come from? What do we know about it? Well, there are quite a few experts, of course, who have written about it. Carol Helstotsky has done a beautiful job in her book. But somebody who is a voracious eater himself, who has eaten more pizza than the average bear, I would imagine, (laughs) is Robert Sietzema. Robert is the featured writer on NewYorkEater.com, and he is an eater extraordinaire, combing the city's far reaches in New York for the most authentic international cuisines. And uh, for 20 years, Robert was the food critic for New York's Village Voice from 1913 to 2013. That's, that's quite a history. And he's also a contributing writer to Gourmet. You can see his writing also appear every now and then in the New York Times, uh, 
other places, you, you tell me. Um, and <laughs> Too lavish praise, Linda. I'm also Robert. just a normal person eating pizza. Hey, listen, a normal <laughs> everyone eats pizza, but you happen to eat it and then say, hmm, where did this start? What happened? And where else can I eat it? And how widespread is this food? So interesting. I mean, pizza has a, an interesting history that kind of goes from Italy to America and back to Italy. No, not Italy. goes from Naples to America and then back to Italy again. Um, and you, in fact, recently wrote a piece about pizza in America, which I was so happy to see that you, you know, you hit it right on the nose because so many people uh, kind of get it wrong. And there are, of course, a lot of People lay claims that they, you know, they were the first pizza. And that finally, I think it's in in the books now that it it has a definite history. But let's go back to Naples. Let's go back to the cucina povera or the culture. It's really a food of of the poor people, the a culture of poverty, which so many wonderful foods do start uh, in terms of of being poor people's food. Um, it really did start in Naples. Um, no question. I mean, Naples is where the pizza immediately came from. Where it came from before that is a matter of some controversy. The Romans uh, ate pizza. It was something like pizza. It was a flatbread. Uh, and in the Middle East, the, the flatbread was being eaten, uh, the pita bread, which seems like an even more immediate inspiration for Naples pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a puffy round of dough uh, with very little on it, massaged maybe with a little bit of tomato sauce. Uh, cheese was never put on pizza until I think it was 1879. Well, excuse me, tomatoes yeah. were never put on pizza. Oh, right, we're right. talking Roman days and, and, and yes, Middle Eastern. Yes. No, no tomatoes till well, the of New course, World. The tomatoes yeah. were brought, you know, by the Portuguese mariners and maybe even by Columbus back to Italy. Right. We're not really sure, but... At any rate, uh, you know, you go and you eat the pizzas in Naples, and the pizzas in Naples are of relatively recent vintage. The oldest pizza parlor, I think, is Da Michelle, and that, like I say, dates to probably the 1870s. Uh, Trianon is from the 1920s, so, you know, you have a whole range of pizza parlors there that really are not all that older than American pizza parlors. But um, when I was there, I, I had to go and investigate when, in New York, we started getting all these true pies of Naples opening up. Uh, we have about a dozen of them now, places, some of which are even certified by an association of Naples pizza makers to be it, it is. authentic. It's, they they protect it. In fact, I have to write that name down because I always get that turned around. It de, is. De la vraie, it's the Associazione, yeah. Associazione Verace Pizza Napolitana, which is huh. true Neapolitan Pizza Association. Right, and they, they made this up in modern times. In 19, order to, ni- 1984, to be exact. Yeah, to come and hector us, uh, you know, and to lay claim to being the first pizza makers. Well, their pizza is so different than our pizza that I claim that the pizza that the world knows is an American invention and specifically a New York invention. Right, and and ex- we have to, first of all, explain to, and I'm, lo- I'm staring right now at a, a, an incredibly delicious pizza. We're, we record, for those of you who don't know, we record out of the back of Roberta's Pizza Restaurant. And Roberta's makes, as Robert just said, a, a Neapolitan-style pizza. And for... Our viewers who, I mean, our our viewers, our listeners one day, um, who don't really understand the difference, you know, some of these places out there, like Chicago, you know, and their deep dish pizza, they don't understand. Real Neapolitan pizza is, do the honors, it's it's thin crust, very little on it, right? 
That's right. Uh, and the pizza we're looking at from Roberta's here is a very nice pizza. Perhaps you can say it's in the Naples style, but I think it's really midway between New York and Naples because right. this has a more obdurate crust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's scandal of scandals, this has been sliced into several pieces. Now, in <laughs> Naples, you would never think about sharing a pizza with anybody. That's a right. pizza is a kind of glove-soft round of dough massaged with tomatoes, with cheese or without. But even if it's cheese, it's a little bit of mozzarella, fiore de latte or buffalo mozzarella, um, but just a very small amount. Uh, fiore de latte is also something that was invented in America and then carried back to Naples, and now they're using it there. But um, when I went to, to Naples about 10 years ago to find out what the true pie of Naples was like and to see if all these upstart New York New Yorkers claiming to make the true pie of Naples were really authentic, I discovered this tradition older than the pizza parlors in Naples, and these were street pizzas, which you would find in the marketplace. They seemed to be a very ancient vintage. They were usually just dough or dough with a little tomato sauce ma- uh, massaged in. Uh, sometimes they would have the smallest little piece of mozzarella in the middle. It would mm-hmm. be a square about a half an inch on a side. And and it I would think be that, in might, the middle. that might even have come from Sicily, that, yes. that iteration of the like a spinchone. It, it's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the beauty of pizza history is it's pretty much unwritten. Un, it you is, can it go is. and make your own surmises, and someone will be there to say, no, you're wrong. This is from somewhere else. At any rate, those street pizzas, which were a euro a piece or less, struck me as being what pizza was originally. Mm-hmm. It was a little meal that, that a poor person could carry in her pocket uh, or in a handbag that could be bought on the street that was of the most plebeian delight imaginable. Right. Uh, it's even, often said like a penny a penny could stave off the yes. hunger because you could get, um, a, you know, a, you didn't say a piece of pizza, you said a bite, you know, a bite of pizza. You know? And, and Naples was the poorest of cities. Naples was a city that attracted people from all over southern Italy, from Calabria, from Apulia, they each brought their preferences with them. As a matter of fact, if you look in the modern pizza parlor, in you know, just a neighborhood pizza parlor, and you see those jars of condiments and sprinkle-ons, those reflect the places that immigrants came from in southern Italy. The Apulians, they love their uh, garlic powder. The Calabrians love hot pepper. So, you know, that little thing of hot pepper in there, that reflects the all of the immigrants that were coming to New York at the time, and one of them brought pizza with him. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, as you say, that that's, it's unwritten history, and the claims to the origins are, are numerous. I mean, some people say that the, the, the Lombards brought, first brought uh, pizza to southern Italy, or the, the dough with something on it. But it, and as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. all cultures had some type of flatbread, injera, right, uh, tortilla, you know, Torts, tarts, whatever you want to call it, there was always something with, with a flatbread with something on it as a little, if not a snack, a meal, a cheap meal. You know, poor right, people's right. food. Yeah. And if you go to uh, if you go to uh, Buenos Aires, you'll find that the uh, the original pizza maker there was from Genoa, mm. and the pizzas there are really quite different than the pizzas here. So yeah, there were all these different forms of flatbread. As a matter of fact, when pizza was invented in New York, sometime near the end of the nineteenth century invented in the way that we now know pizza to be, and not any kind of Naples-style pizza, um, 
there were two other competing traditions of flat Italian flatbreads at the same time, and those still exist as well. So, you know, you can pizza could have arrived from anywhere, but it was Naples that it most immediately arrived from. So there, there was this food, and it was pizza in Naples, as you say, sold on the street corner. Well, I mean, everything macaroni was sold on, by a street vendor. I mean, you know, it was the <laughs> usually dressed with nothing but cooking water. The people <laughs> right, there right. were very poor, very poor, and their their entire diet consisted of starch, which is why the tiny cube of mozzarella in the middle of the pie it's a lot meant something that's yeah. right that's right and um and then of course it grew and and there were larger pizzas made with a little bit more on them and then the tomato as we said arrives at the end of the 16th century but it wasn't used on a pizza probably till the end of the 18th century or and even later later Who even knows? some people yeah. say yeah so pizzas in some near cousin form of what we know in in Naples today existed and then the great wave of of immigration and pizzas blossomed in New York now tell me about that well no, wait, you have to understand nobody else in Italy <laughs> ate the rest of the Italians didn't know from pizza and they didn't eat pizza really so it was Naples, right? And then that's right. And the other parts of Italy had their own flatbed traditions, right. but flat bled, flat <laughs> bread traditions. Uh, you know, among them the focaccia. But but yes, uh, it happened here on the Lower East Side. It happened at Lombardi's, which was in a slightly different location on Spring Street. It happened when uh, Gennaro Lombardi, who was a grocer, uh, decided to start selling pizzas of some sort in his store, in his grocery store. And presumably that occurred sometime, uh, he came here in 1897, he was from a family of tailors, he, his, uh, he wanted to become a tailor but decided to become a grocer because there were too many tailors on the Lower East Side. Uh, he had the grocery store selling the slender stock of Italian ingredients that were then available. One of the reasons that Italian-American food arose was that Italian housewives had to substitute American things. One of the things they substituted was, uh, and they found in abundance, was milk, and they substituted mozzarella made with milk rather than the much rarer and more expensive buffalo, buffalo milk mozzarella, milk. and they found themselves inundated with it. So, uh, you know, cheese was second second hand to them, second nature when they came here. Ground beef was another thing that they made meatballs out of, but that's another story. So, <laughs> so Lombardi has his grocery. He decides to make pizzas. He recruits a guy who was an even more recent immigrant and named Antonio Pero, nicknamed Totono. He said to this dude, he said, hey, let's make some pizzas. You want to make some pizzas? Um, we're not really sure what Totono did back in the old country, but we know that he had lived in Naples for a while, and maybe he was there when Queen Margarita arrived for a, a state visit, uh, and maybe he was part of all of the celebration, but that was the first time cheese was ever used on a pizza, and that may have influenced him. At any rate, he started making flatbreads for Lombardi's store. He had arrived in 1903. Someone else may have made flatbreads for Lombardi before then, but Totono must have made one hell of a flatbread, and I believe it must have sold like hotcakes. What the form was, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it wasn't like uh, today's pizza, I'm pretty sure that he made it in a neighborhood bakery with a coal-burning oven. Uh, Which Lombardi's did not have at that that's time. That's right, not no. at all. But the place that Lombardi's moved to, like four or five storefronts down, had been a bakery and did have a coal-fired oven. And my theory is that uh, that the baker Totono borrowed some time 
at late at night and made pizzas that were then sold at Lombardi store and the pizzas took off like hotcakes. People went crazy for them. And I think Totono is the one that one might point to as the person who invented pizza as we know it in the United States. Well, he then did break off and decide to go on his own. Yes, in 1924, <laughs> everything we know about Lombardi is that, I mean, especially from photographs in which he stands with brilliantined hair kind of glowering at the camera, while Totono stands behind him, a, a taller and more deferential figure. Mm. Uh, as uh, as Totono's granddaughter, uh, who's cookie at Totono's Pizza Parlor in, uh, you know, in, um, in Coney Island. Island. Uh, As she says, look at the shoes of the two guys in the picture. And uh, Totono's shoes are covered with flour. (laughs) And Lombardi is standing there with completely clean shoes. Who's making the pizza? (laughs) Who's making the pizza? (laughs) And there were a succession of other pizza makers that worked for Lombardi. There's no question of Lombardi's genius, but I would point to Totono as the person who invented pizza as we know it. And pizza as we know it is so different from Naples pizza. Whether this evolved immediately or slowly, I'm not sure. But going from a single person, uncut, lightly cheesed or not cheesed at all pie, to being a humongous pie. Enough for a whole family. A whole family. It it turned pizza from being a a kind of solipsistic dining event into being a party. A pizza party. You can't say pizza without Without thinking of party, just (laughs) like right now. So... uh, you know, and presumably there's records that show that he originally wrapped his pizzas in brown paper in in uh, quarters, uh, the same way that they used to do in Naples. But my guess is that pretty soon the pizza box was invented and they were like <laughs> delivering giant pies. Yeah. Uh, and these, of course, were sold in Lombardi's store. They could have been like a focaccia. They could have been the size of Naples. They could have been getting bigger and bigger because if a little opulence is good, a lot of opulence is even better. And Italian-American cooking 100 years ago was all about using the massive abundance of ingredients in the new world and their cheapness. Well, yeah, as you said, they had they had access to all of this, all this food, all these ingredients. And how do you think Tony Soprano got so big? <laughs> I mean, eating these magnificent Italian-American dishes, right. which for which abundance and opulence was the most important quality. So in 1905, Lombardi decided to chuck the store and just go with the pizza. You know, one of the advantages was he already had canned tomatoes in the store. He already had, you know, various, the Fiore di Latte, of course, would have been at a Latticini down, this, down the road. But all of the things were there in Little Italy, uh, you know, in, in a greater Little Italy than we're accustomed to now. Mm-hmm. In a Little Italy that at the time, 110 years ago, pretty much covered all of the Lower East Side. Right. So, um, and so, yeah, Totono decided to t- get away from Lombardi, and in 1924, he moved to uh, out to Coney Island and started his own pizza parlor. So, and, and so Lombardi's really was a springboard for a couple of different people who... Um, at, at least three, yeah. Yeah, who opened their right. own places that were... that really made their made their name and, and hold their place in the history of pizza That's in right. New York. Right? That's right. Um, and, then, and then from pizza in New York, it kind of traveled back again to Italy. And we're going to talk about that as soon as we come back from a short break.
You're listening to Sweet Talk by Pamela Royal on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. August for the past 10 years, Heritage Foods USA has had the great honor of announcing the arrival of a new generation of Good Shepherd Ranch Heritage turkeys and a new chapter in the history of an endangered species. You have to eat them to save them. While many farmers now use the term, Frank Reese and his team raised the truest example of the original Heritage turkey. According to the USDA, they remain the only farm allowed to use the name Heritage on their label. We hope you reserve your healthy, naturally mating, flying, standard bronze, bourbon red, white holland, slate, black, or narragansett turkey today. Let's do it again and support the brightest hope for the turkey. We guarantee these are the best tasting turkeys ever or your money back. Prices start at $75. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and my mouth is full of pizza. We're eating to, pizza right now. I have to apologize, and it is so good. But we were talking, Robert, you just said the, the amount of cheese. No chewing in the microphone. <laughs> ah, the sound effects. Yes. The amount of cheese on the pizza, even though it's a scant amount by American standards, it would probably make, as you said, most Italians sick, right? It's too much, too yeah, much cheese. Just to, to digress for a second to the that association of Italian pizza makers. You know, the whole idea here in America that you can recreate the pizza of Naples, you know, the water is different, everything is different, is ridiculous. And not only that, but they always, like, diverge from what really is on Naples pies, which is a very spare collection of ingredients. Here you go to, you know, any of those places, and they've invented new toppings for the pies. (laughs) They have really expensive wine lists, whereas in Naples, when you get a pizza pizza, you know what you drink? You drink that great old American beverage. Pepsi or Coca-Cola. Or (laughs) Coca-Cola, yeah. So the idea that that they're just going to follow certain of the Naples pizza rules. Right. (laughs) You know, and what it means for them is really that they're selling a much smaller amount of dough for an inflated price. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an inexpensive, right, it's an inexpensive product to make. Of course, getting that wonderful wood-burning pizza oven built, that, you know, you got to pay for that. Yeah, but the (laughs) coal oven pizza tastes good, and and the pizza doesn't taste like coal. That's true. You know. But you do. You have to get it up to, you know, eight hundred degrees and char the bottom of that crust. In, right, know, and, and, and of course the um, the coal oven goes up to more. You know, these original four pizzerias in New York they have coal ovens. They're grandfathered in, even though they would be illegal now. That's right. And they get up over nine hundred degrees, which explains why American pizzas are kind of thinner crusted. Mm-hmm. Our original pizzas are thin crusted pizzas, and that's because you just can't have. A thick crust, and you know, and cook it at that temperature. No, I mean you'd be it'd be a, a char a charcoal charcoal bottom and raw in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Raw in the middle, right? Well, you made um, some reference to um, 
the queen, Queen Margarita, when she came to Naples, and from whence the pizza margarita got mm-hmm. its name. And there was a, a, a pizzaiola there who uh, was making pizza for her, and, and this was around 1889, I think. Something she, like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. she visited. Yeah. And so you have the basil, the tomato, and the, and the mozzarella, the red, white, and green. The, like, of the Italian flag, yeah. And there you go. The very pizza. patriotic and pizza. It, and she loved it, and it became pizza margarita to this day. And, you know, putting, putting a basil leaf on there is a real Italian thing, and it's been back-constructed here in this country, but... Really, that's one of the things that characterizes the Naples pies, was that fragrant leaf of basil on there. Right. Well, you made some comment about the pizza was sliced, and it would never be sliced. However, um, Italians would buy a piece of pizza, even before it spread throughout all of Italy in Naples, it would be sold by the weight. Right. Well, then it was more of a square bakery pizza, which is quite a different animal. Yeah, it was a big, big, you know, half-sheet pan filled with the, the pizza, and... And the pizzaiola okay. would cut it and say, and how much do you want? Sicilians eventually brought that kind of pizza here. Right. Um, so, yeah, and that and focaccia bread is another form of pizza that has come here separately and is now still sold at ancient bakeries in Hoboken. Well, I remember when I was living in Italy I, and and I would go in to get some pizza. I had no idea how, how to buy pizza. Oh, yeah. There was this huge tray and there were all these squares. And he looked at me like, how much did you want? Like a piece? Well, no, a piece could be half a kilo a piece could be 100 grams was an etto right right right. so you'd buy it by the etto you'd buy it you know uh, an etto of pizza would be like uh, comparable to a a small slice and you still do that in uh, in bakeries up in the north end of boston today you buy the pizza by the pound by the pound Yeah. yeah well tell me you know we had the the immigrants coming to new york and setting up the 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 neapolitan immigrants coming to new york and setting up the pizzerias went back to italy and it started to spread around the rest of Italy. They, they were making it richer, uh, more elaborate. Well, immigration was taking place throughout the rest of Italy, too. The right. southerners and, yeah, were Don't forget north. that many immigrants, they come over here in search of eco- economic opportunities, and then they return to the old country. I mean, that's, right. even today, that's not an unusual feat. Right. You found it in the Godfather films, uh, you know, where... Uh, the son went back to went back to Sicily. Right. Well, and you were talking about the the people from Naples being so poor, they would leave that area and go north to to, to Turin, or right, the, right. You know, industry to the factories, was factories, yeah. and find jobs. And they would take with them. What do they take with them? Their food, of course. So, of course, yeah. You know, the food would travel throughout the rest of Italy, and then, of course, the war time came. We're talking World War Two specifically because mm-hmm. that was after the first wave of immigration, and and. Boy, pizza took off like, you said hotcakes, hot pizza dough. <laughs> right, and I'm sure that there, to a certain extent there were uh, Italian pizza makers who were making it for American servicemen who remembered the, the formerly Naples, now American pizza that they'd eaten back home and came to Italy wanting the same kind of pizza and may have been mildly disappointed to find the kind of more austere and individual and softer. And you, you can't do a New York fold. With the Naples, yeah, right, pizza, and so and and people don't. Um, it's interesting because now we have these pizzas, and, we, and I mentioned Chicago pizza. I mean, they are so heavily laden with sauce and cheese and and toppings. And mm-hmm. You can't, nor can you, you can't fold it, nor can you basically pick it up without <laughs> having you know it all ooze off your lap. Um, 
And there's a stuffed crust pizza. Yeah, pizza oh, yeah, like crust pizza, like right. rust never sleeps. I mean, pizza never <laughs> sleeps. It is always evolving, evolving, yeah. and you know, and even though you might not like Domino's or something, a stuffed crust pizza is a formidable invention. Well, and we talked. We were talking about buying pizza by the piece, by the pound, by the you know, the, or the kilo or, or portion of that. Um, as far as sliced pizzas, our triangles that we know that started in New York. Do you do you know anything about when? Pizza by the, so when pizza was sold just by the slice. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest. We could not buy a slice of pizza. When I first came to New York, it was like a revelation. You mean I could just get a slice of pizza? Yeah, I can. I can. I think I have a theory about why that occurred. Okay, and that is that um, the pizza oven was invented sometime late in the 1940s. Now, the pizza oven is so different from the other kinds of ovens that were used to make pizza which were either the beehive wood-burning ovens of Naples or they were the, the hellish, cold, soot-choked, you know, smoke-barfing coal ovens <laughs> of, uh, of New York that were used to make pizza at very high temperature. That tasted but, really good. But <laughs> oh, it tasted great. And they had found a way to keep the taste of the coal out of the pizza, which is brilliant. Because when you're in a wood-fired pizza, the wood is right next to the pizza, and you don't really mind the, the wood smoke. Mm-hmm. So anyway, these new kinds of ovens, uh, which may or may have not been invented by the Berry Company uh, on the Bowery, but if you look at most of today's pizza ovens, or a large proportion of them in New York, you'll see that they have berry. And, of course, berry. Bari. Bari. Thank you. My <laughs> Italian pronunciation is execrable as a Midwesterner. Well, you might argue that my English pronunciation is awful, too. But <laughs> the Bari ovens, which, of course, name-check the Apulian capital. Right. Uh, and uh, from which many of the immigrants to New- the New York area came from. But somebody invented this amazing oven. To begin with, it's a flat oven. You can't put a big cake in there. You can't put a bunt cake in there. They're so flat, and they, uh, they're run on gas, which is cheaper, and they're, very, uh, they're not very high, but they're stacked. stacked so you often right. have like four of these ovens. Now, this created literally a kind of a pizzeria. Many were run by new Italian immigrants just arriving, them there for, uh, arriving here in New York from Apulia. Or, and also servicemen who came back with no job to do. And the presence of these ovens literally stimulated an industry in the famous New York neighborhood pizza parlor. Mm. Pizzas had previously been a destination. They'd been in old Italian neighborhoods. You know, they'd been in East Harlem. They'd been in Coney Island. They'd been in places like that in the West Village. And so suddenly anyone could afford to buy an oven and set up in business as a neighborhood pizzeria. Now, the neighborhood pizzeria no longer was serving families on special occasions. Uh, People that came in to dine, it was serving working men who needed a lunch, and the two slices and a Coke became the iconic New York lunch in the 50s, and every neighborhood would have its own pizza parlor. You know, I mean, if you see the Spike Lee film, Do the Right Thing, it's mm-hmm. about a pizza parlor in, in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Every single neighborhood. John no Travolta, Saturday yes, Night Fever, right? He goes every, to get a slice. <laughs> every single ethnicity, every neighborhood had a pizza parlor run, usually at the time, by Italians, now maybe by Dominicans and Albanians. So uh, the, the, the pizza, which is cooked at 550 degrees, is quite different. When you have a pizza like that, it takes longer to bake, but you can more, put more stuff on it. Yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. And so, so you think that the um, that the need for the cheap lunch by the slice was exactly that started the whole slice. And thing. only now is that sadly being eclipsed. 
as uh, f franchise forms of fast food are becoming more common in New York neighborhoods, uh, foodists are looking for more interesting and exotic lunches. Mm -hmm. uh, many and, and ethnicities have changed so that many people who might have once eaten pizza, workers are now eating, uh, you know, arroz con, arroz con pollo or something. Yeah. My Spanish pronunciation <laughs> is also horrible. But uh, For a man who eats so much exotic well, I, food. You my <laughs> mouth is so full of food, I can never really pronounce anything anyway. So um, at any rate, uh, the neighborhood slice has declined in our own era uh -huh. right now, but the dollar slice is fighting back. It's a new phenomenon. It's pizza parlors that go back to almost 1950s prices and now sell cheaper, more rudimentary slices for a dollar, and they're all over town. Oh, terrific. Some of them are in chains. Uh, and the pizza, some people say it's not very good. On the other hand, it's very plain pizza. It's and what you want as a snack, maybe, or just or, a little something. Or just something a fortifying cheap meal. Yeah, now, yeah. two slices and a Coke is now two fifty or $3 once again. Well, it's it's funny because, it, you know, in, in Italy, certainly, you can tell where the, the really good and cheap pizza places are because after school... All the Vespas will be there. All the kids yeah, from school yeah. will, will all swarm to it like bees to a hive. And they all, you know, grab their one little piece of pizza. And you know it, it's it's going to be good and cheap. Exactly. Um, and they'll – because if it's not, they'll move on to the next place. There's plenty of them around. Well, and here too, you will see the places that have um, good, cheap pizza by the slice, you'll see they're always crowded around the windows. You know, Ben's is still in business. Not that it's, you know, well, we, won't, <laughs> we well, don't have to Everyone slam anything, has but, their yeah. own favorite neighborhood pizza. Right. And it's an idiosyncratic pie, and, you know, you love it because it's yours. That's right. You know? But I like that, that we're, that we're getting some retro, retro action here and having the dollar slice Pizza back. is fighting back. That's great. Uh, All right. So as we try to wrap it up here, there's so much more information. You need to write a whole book on pizza. But I did not mention, and I, have, I, I will be remiss not to mention you do have a book coming out robert has a um a book coming out in april called well, it'd be a year from april a year from april. Yeah, okay. yeah new york in a dozen dishes and you do That's have right. a section on pizza in there there's you a said, very okay. a double long chapter in pizza. great because you've got so much information to share on on pizza and you have eaten pizza around the world what's the most unusual place that you've eaten pizza um that's an interesting question. I would say Pittsburgh. As opposed to, I mean, some weird well, country? Well, I've, had, I've had amazing pizzas in, uh, in Tunisia. The pizzas are square Sicilian-influenced slices because Sicily is only 200 miles away. But there, you can't really get a pizza with tomato sauce on it. You get a pizza with tuna and boiled egg on it. Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> they have these things called fagazzi in Buenos Aires that are basically just kind of bowls filled with sautéed onions, which uh, stands as their original pizza. Hmm. But in Pittsburgh, see, all over the United States, pizza makers went and became isolated and evolved their pizzas, uh, you know, in isolation. And in uh, I've encountered so many strange pizzas in Pittsburgh, including one pizza where they cook the pizza the day before, and then they take two wedges and they make a sandwich out of it with cold cuts. Hmm. <laughs> I guess that kind of equals the strangest one I saw in a couple of years ago in Sardinia. The the hot going pizza and all the teenagers were there buying it uh, after school was, or it actually it was night. It was their nighttime meal or snack pizza with a service of fresh fried. French fries. Oh my top, God! Folded over into like a sandwich, and they ate a French fry pizza sandwich. I am so jealous. 
That's like the original New Orleans pool boy. That's right. There yeah. you go. How yeah. amazing. God, that sounds great. Of course, we had the short-lived pizza cone up across from the Empire State Building, wherein the pizza dough was shaped into a cone and the toppings sluiced inside. Mm. Uh, and yeah, the pizza was like baked as a cone, so it was like a you know a hard, crusty cone with the pizza. <laughs> it, it didn't last more than a year, but well, no matter how you eat it, no matter how you fold it, no matter what you put on top, it's whatever you like. And pizza is here to stay, and it's really good food. Robert Sietzema, thank you so much for sharing your thanks information. Thanks so much for having me, Linda. And thanks for listening to a taste of the past. I've been your host, Linda Palaccio, and I'm still your host. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.